HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Sam Ben Ruby from The Grape Nation. We had an opportunity to go down to the Naples Winter Wine Festival and talk to a bunch of different winemakers. This interview is with Laura Catena from Bodega Catena Zapata Winery in Mendoza, Argentina. Welcome to the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network, your weekly wine journey. We are at the Naples Winter Wine Festival, benefiting the Naples Children and Education Foundation. Our guest is Laura Catena, an old friend, managing director of Bottega Catena Zapata in Mendoza, Argentina. Laura wears many hats in her busy life. Dr. Laura Catena is an emergency room physician, a fourth-generation vintner, founder of the Catena Wine Institute, author, and mom. Laura splits her time between the family winery in Argentina, her own winery, Luca, and practicing medicine in San Francisco. Welcome back to the Grape Nation, Laura. Thank you, Sam. And as a side note, I have to say this, Laura was our first ever guest on the Grape Nation way back in 2016, so, and we've seen each other since then, but it's great to have you back, and it's great to have you under these circumstances. We're at the uh, Naples Winter Wine Festival, which is a, a great charity and fundraiser. So, what are you doing here? Well, I'm doing a, a really fun event with Doug Schaefer from Schaefer Winery in California. Pretty good and, wine. Yes. Hillside uh, uh, Select. Exactly. So I'm looking forward to see how our, our wines match up to his. It's always a little scary when you're up with somebody. Uh, so let's talk famous. about that for yeah. a second. One of the events at the 
Naples Wine Festival is the Friday night before the auction, the people that attend are invited to homes and other residences along with a winemaker, a chef, and sommeliers. So people will be congregating. Is it at someone's home? It's actually at the Botanical Garden. It's at the two, Botanical the two Garden. two couples from Naples are, are hosting. Are hosting it. Yeah. And you and Doug Schaefer from Schaefer will be there. Who is your chef? Uh, his name is Eric's, um, Eric. Eric, that's okay. Do you know the restaurant? From Washington, D.C. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> so you guys will be pouring out all kinds of wines, current vintages and yeah, some... Yes, some current and some older vintages. So that's yeah. the setup to your point that yeah. you're going to be pouring all kinds of Catena wines against a noble Napa wine. Yes. And you're very curious to see. Yeah. I'm sure that... Uh, you curated the right wines. And yeah, no, we thought a lot about them. And, and, but you know what I was particularly pleased about? That I, I met with Joan uh, Clifford, who is one of the, the couples that are hosting, and she said, well, you know, we asked Doug Schaefer what you were like, and he said, she's fantastic. It's going to be great. And, you know, that, that's quite the, yeah, the thumbs up, you know, from, nice from Doug Schaefer. So I think um, we were actually, I was also pleased to see that, he and, and his wife, Annette, were going to be part of the event. And not every dinner is multiple winemakers. Right. So right. if you're attending that one, yeah. that's, a, that's yeah. a pretty good shot. Um, I want to talk to you about a bunch of things. Um, typically, do you head back to Argentina for harvest yes. in the so next harvest, month or two? Yes, uh, is actually starting towards the end of January. So it's starting Which right we're now, right mostly now. for the, the sparkling. We do make some sparkling wine that is mostly sold in Argentina, not exported. What's and the then, grape? So it's mostly Chardonnay and Pinot it's Noir Chardonnay for, yeah, for sparkling. So it's like a blanc. Uh, yeah, it's a blanc de blanc or, or, you or know, also with a little bit of, um, of Pinot Noir. And actually, Argentinians drink so much sparkling that all the sparkling made in Argentina is consumed locally. It is. Yeah. And the quality is, Catane is making, it's got to no, be good, but everyone else is, We don't make a lot of it, but we could make a lot more and sell it. We just don't have the space um, and, and the grapes, but um, the, the quality is quite good because of the high altitude, right. cool climate. I want to talk yeah. to you about that, too. I, 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 I don't think it's as good as this Krug I'm having right well, now. Well, <laughs> listen, I'm kicking off the uh, show this week with Olivier Krug, so, yeah, you yeah. know. I wouldn't is, pretend to be as good yeah, as Krug, but, but you're but not making nice. champagne. You're making a terrific <laughs> sparkling wine. So you are, in fact, heading back to yes, work? Yes, I'm heading back in February. That's your time? Yeah. You, you have delegated times, February yeah, is so time February to be... Yeah, so February always go because it's the beginning of harvest. It's where we set out all the parcels that we're going to harvest separately. We start kind of looking at the quality of the of the vintage and understanding it. Uh, and then usually I go again either in March or April. In the Most of the harvesting happens between March and April. And I like to be there to decide, you know, what is the style of this vintage, uh, what do we want the grapes to taste like? And, and this is one of the things I love about wine is that no vintage is the same. And I actually get asked this question a lot. Does Argentina have vintage variability? We have a lot of vintage variability because we're near the Andes. So we don't have a lot of bad vintages, but the grapes taste very differently because sometimes we harvest earlier, later. And to me, that's what's fun about wine, that every year the wine is going to taste a little bit different. It's a different challenge yeah, a different a different challenge i mean <coughs> we've had two very cold vintages with really small harvests the past so, couple of vintages yeah, yeah so you know that means that our wines are very mineral they're low in alcohol and some people prefer the warmer vintages but you know what then just wait a, a year longer or drink an older vintage 
But that's what's fun. So the past few vintages have been challenging. The, the past two, actually, interestingly, two years, the 16 was very cold and small. So it was kind of a double whammy. You know, we had not a lot of grapes and, you know, very cool climate flavors. The 17 was low in volume, but I've declared it the best vintage in great the last quality. 25 years. Yeah, great quality. 17. Those will be is, special is wines. Probably, 17 will be the best So last vintage. September's... Yeah. Harvest. Well, last is February, a, remember it's last February. Fe- yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, February. Yeah. Which I wanted to ask you. So February of seventeen is when you harvested. February, February March. February, March, April. Yeah. The vintage year is seventeen, right? Regard- right. Okay. Right, I just wanted right, to make sure right. of that. But uh, we we often call it the the sixteen seventeen harvest, even if we harvested in seventeen. But right. the year, the actual. Harvest is that just because the way? It falls in yeah. Argentina yeah, we compared always, to France yeah, and Napa. Well, in Napa. France, you know, it's six months right. later. Uh, but we often use the double, the two years. Uh, but if you read about it in a decanter magazine, it'll say 17. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Catena are high-altitude wines, right? I yeah. mean, you alluded to that. Um, I think you've been studying <laughs> fairly thoroughly high-altitude wines. What... What are the characteristics, you know, what are the qualities, I mean, uh, of a high-altitude wine? What are you going to get with a Catena high-altitude wine? Because that was one of the things your dad really decided was to, you know, move up and grow. What's the difference between, is it a more intense berry? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, you know, this is very hard for people to understand that we actually have cool climate because most people think South America, they're thinking of the beach. But you're up in the Andes. But once you go to the Andes, you have this high altitude between 3,000 and 5,000 feet elevation. And there's two important things, actually three, that happen in altitude. The first one is just simply that it gets colder. You know, and you you go skiing, you go up, it gets colder, right? So you get this cooler climate and you get climate, you know, between Bordeaux and Burgundy in terms of temperature. Actually a little cooler than most parts of Napa. Some, you know, probably... Some of it is closer to Carneros, but the one thing we have is we always have sun. So, for example, Carneros, why is Carneros cooler in, in Napa? It's because it has a lot of fog. Right. Coming we in don't have a lot Pacific. of fog. So mostly what we have is cooler climate with a lot of sunlight. And when my dad decided to plant Malbec, which is a Bordeaux variety, in a climate as cold as Burgundy, people said, you're crazy. In fact, his own viticulture has almost refused to plant there. <laughs> But my dad was looking for elegant wines with not too high alcohols, wines that could age with good structure. And, you know, he said, okay, if it's, it's colder, but we have all this sunlight. And he was right. You know, and, and I think he says he was just lucky because, you know, in, in, in life you take a lot of gambles. Uh, he's a and pretty <laughs> smart guy. <laughs> he claims And the that, apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, you, you know, if you, if you ask my dad when he was younger what was more important, you know, luck or hard work? He would have said hard work. Now you ask him, he says luck. Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> when you did what he did and you've been around, you could decide, you know, yeah. what it is. Yeah. So he accomplished what he wanted to, these elegant yeah. wines, yeah. with the altitude and the sun oh, and, and the cooler yeah, weather. And, and the third uh, t- uh, thing that I was going to tell you is that also these were these soils were formed by glaciers. So when the glaciers recede and the rivers, they leave the heavier stuff higher up. 
and the lighter stuff further down. So you have more stony limestone soils further up, and then There's further a down. There's diversity you have, as you yes, move around. And then to as the you soil. go down, you get more clays, which are uh, lighter. So actually, these 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 stony soils that are from the glaciers receding have a lot of limestone and are extremely well drained. So in these high altitude areas, you cannot get high yields. It's impossible. And so you have these naturally low yields, which definitely help in making more profound wines. Right. But you blend the different... Well, in some cases, we blend different altitudes just to get you know the acidity, right. the florals, the ripeness. In some other cases, we make single parcel wines. And we believe Tell me a couple of the single parcel. Yeah, so I the mean, single pe- parcels are Adriana. We Adriana. have five single parcel wines. Right. We have the white stones and the white bones, two very different Chardonnays. Chardonnay. And then we have three reds, the river stones, the Fortuna Terrae, which means luck of the earth, and the Mundus Vasilus Terrae, which, you know, I studied Latin, so I, I, I've chosen these crazily hard-to-remember names, but it means elegant microbes of the earth because... What because I say, you have an obsession with, with microbes. microbes. Yes, and also why? Because, because okay, so who owns the Adriana Vineyard, Sam? I'm putting you on the spot. Who owns? Uh, wait, who owns it? The Catina family or the microbes and the plants who live there? Who owns it? I'm, I am going to go with my gut. Yeah. Which is Mike. Yes, the microbes, microbes. The microbes. The microbiome. I mean, the, the thing is, we go and we take these grapes, but the true inhabitants of that place, the ones that make it possible for us to make great wine, there are the microbes. They are, it's their home. When was this realization? Because you're right, <laughs> and I know you studied it, and isn't that one of the drives of the Catena Wine Institute? Yes, yes. So we are actually doing this... this uh, great deal of research on the microbes in the soil because my theory is that if we want to preserve these flavors, if we want to preserve, you know, this historic wine that we're making at Adriana that is one of a kind in the world, we need to understand the microbes, measure them, find out who they are, and make sure that they never die away. And so that's why we practice organic viticulture. And it's also because we're studying them because we say, what if climate change happens? And they start dying out. We need to find out what's going on with them because maybe there's something we can do to help them. Because I'm convinced that the flavor of those wines comes from this um, symbiosis between the microbes and the vines. And it's well known that the vines could not survive without the microbes. Humans, you and me, okay, DNA. What you, Sam Ben Ruby, Right here this in front like of me. This is like a doctor <laughs> asking me like a medical question. No, no, but like, you're, how you're, am I going to do here? You're going to answer correctly. Okay. Is there more Sam and Ruby DNA in you right now or more microbial DNA? I'm I hinting would, at the answer. I know the answer to this. I know there's this finite number or calculation to DNA and there's trillions of microbes yes. in your biome so or whatever. So you, Sam and Ruby, you are more microbial DNA than human DNA. And it's the same with vines and soils. And the, the interesting thing is that actually the, the soil microbiome is being studied at the same time as the human microbiome. And in fact, the leader in soil microbiome for vines just left us to go study human microbiome, which really? I was quite upset at, although oh. I can see how human microbiome would be important. Yeah. But the, he's this guy at UC Davis, Dr. Bokulich, who was the world expert on this, and he's just gone off to work for biotech. I guess there's more money in that or something. Well, 
you know, it's another interesting <laughs> challenge for him. Yeah. But it's it's kudos to you for, you know, looking towards sustainability, yes. consistency, realizing it's more than just, you know, the yeah. soil and a bunch of grapes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know um, you're very much committed to that. Um, I want to ask you a couple more things. Uh, before I s- before the interview, I saw you and you told me about this book Yes, that you have in front of you. And I wanted you to tell me about it yeah. because... You wrote a book, what was it, about four or five years yeah. ago? Yeah, uh, it was actually published in late 2010, so that's... It's almost we're seven, on seven, eight years. years. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I yeah. remember when it came uh, out. The Vino Argentino, Arge- right. about Argentinian wines, which is still on Amazon, you can still find and it's it. it's still third a good... Third edition, we're already on the third edition. It's still a good guide to yeah. Argentina and yeah. wines and food yeah. and everything. Yeah. But this book... Okay, so this book is called Oro en los Viñedos, which means gold in the vineyards. And what I realize is that... People want to know, okay, so what's the best wine of Italy? What's the greatest wine here or there? The same way as when you go to Paris, you ask your friend, where should I go? Yeah, what's the best restaurant? What's the the best museum? Same with Buenos Aires. I get asked all the time, where should I go? So I wanted to pick some properties that I think have just done a great um, job with, um, you know, putting themselves out there. And often it's a combination of the taste of the wine, which has to be extraordinary, the ageability, but also how this family got there. And I think that... So it's it, the it, wine and the story. The wine and the story. And, there, you know, you might find three or four wines that are all really great, but one of them is better known. Why? And so I found that most wine books basically tell the story of the soil and the parcels and all this very technical stuff. But they don't tell you the really juicy stories of, you know, the family. For example, Josephine Diquem from Chateau Diquem. Did you know that actually she and her husband were, her husband was given the the Chateau Diquem by the king for his military work. He died a few months after their marriage because he fell off a horse. (laughs) She led... Chateau de came into fame, but nobody ever talks about her. And she was actually jailed during the French Revolution. And two other chateau owners, Margot and Lafitte, were guillotined. But they somehow spared her. Maybe she was very charming. Who knows? And she came to be the one who sold the, the wines of Chateau de Kim to Jefferson, who then took them into California and That's who right. made history. So, you know, th- there's all these characters. One of the unheralded women in wine. Yeah, and in fact, in my book, I made a point to celebrate both men and women because often you hear about the men but not about the women. So so there's heroes and sheroes in my book. But So I've picked one property per so region. So this is through your experience, view, research. This yes. is Laura Catena yes. telling you, yeah. you know, who is very worthy yeah. of being in the business and growing yeah. up and knowing every aspect. Here are some interesting yeah. things for you to look yeah. at because well, you always ask. Well, and, and the thing is, you know, yeah, people could ask me, why you and not a master sommelier? Maybe you're biased because you're from Argentina. But you know what? I'm a, I'm from a family that makes wine. I understand there's Why not a credibility issue no. here. You don't even have no, to answer. No, exactly. But but you know, screw I, them if I they had, don't want to hear your so stuff. I had so much fun. And then at the end of each chapter, I actually do give some of the technical information. So, for example, I explain how does noble rot happen in in Sauterne, and it has to do with actually bacteria and fungi right. that create this 
botrycized. Yeah, that there's this delicious elixir. Right. Uh, and most people don't know the, the, the science, but it's all explained through illustrations. That's the other thing. It's, a, it's an illustrated book. Look, it's all Beautiful. illustrations. So is this book available? Well, it's available in Spanish. It's only so, in Spanish right now. So your now. son, Ben, could read it. He could interpret for us. <laughs> when are you going to go English, English and other we're, language? We're working on it. We're working to, to, to find a good publisher, uh, and uh, I'm in the process. I think it's a great concept. I, I hope so. I really so. do. Yeah. And because you're so visible and you're an ambassador for Argentina, right. for your family, yeah. for the brand, for wine, for women, um, like I said, I don't think there's a credibility issue. I'd be very curious to see that. I'll use some translation tool. Um, you had mentioned women, Dickim. We'll wrap up soon. Um, and you're the person to ask this to. Have women found their fair place in the wine world yet? I mean, are we yeah. there? I have a lot of women sommeliers and winemakers, and yeah. there's different answers. You know what's really interesting is... Um, I look at a lot of these traditional wine families and you know what's happening is that some families only have daughters. Antinori. And Antinori. And so you, you could ask him that question when you interview him later. But is it, it probably if that family had had a son, they might have chosen the son. He but, sort of admitted that. Yeah. And he <laughs> looks back and says that's the wrong thing. That that yeah. thwarted his succession plan yeah. in his mind. Yeah. And he realized his daughters were interested and came back to it. Yeah. So it, there was a different perception, but yeah. that there's still... But, but, but you know what's interesting? He is, rallied and did yeah, the right thing. But, 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 but you know, the interesting thing is that, yes, women have had a slightly different path, but maybe the fact that some women had had to, have had to work harder and have had to earn it that might have prepared them better. You know, I, I always think that if, if, let's say you inherit something, you, you, you don't have to work for it, you're not even going to value it. I agree, but it, it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't, absolutely. But, but I you do, get but, the benefits yeah. of the hustle. Yeah. But, and. But that's why I think that a lot of the women who are in wine today are particularly incredible because they've had to fight a little bit for it. But it shouldn't be that way. And one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that in a lot of wineries, in a lot of businesses, in a lot of... Uh, you know, em, em, a lot of employers around the world pay women less than men for the same job. We This is well documented. And the new generations are not allowing that and are fighting for it. And there's actually data that shows that millennial women are just as good as men are about fighting for salaries. That's not always the case for my generation or the older generation. And that's something that I feel very strongly about. And you know that that's something that has to happen. That that you know. So um, we're still we're still moving. We're not there yet. We're still, but but in terms of, um, I, I think that wine making is very well suited to to women because you know the a lot of great women in wine. It it sort of bridges science and art, which is something that women are great at. It. it and so I I think it's it's as as time Getting goes better. by. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to let you go soon, but I have to ask you one more question that's sort of near and dear to both of us. Tell me how you see in the industry and in your business how social media mm -hmm. has had an effect on how we consume wine, how we look at it, how you use it. You know, because think five, seven, eight, ten years yeah. ago, all the discovery on Instagram and Twitter yeah. and all didn't exist. 
You yeah. know, what, what does it mean? Well, um, I think that it's it's really democratizing wine uh, because you know you had Olivier Krug on before, and if you send a post to Olivier Krug, he actually answers you. And you know, I would often meet people at tastings, love them, have a great conversation, and then I'd never see them again. Now they can have a conversation with me and stay in touch through social media and, and it's pretty quick you know uh, people say oh I have to spend so much time on social media it's quick people don't want to have a long conversation you want to just send a few likes make a little comment and you know with this book that I just released in Argentina I mean I had so many beautiful comments this one guy said I, I'm on my third reading of the book because it's so much fun that really made my day and actually one thing I would say to people who do social media is you know, some people think, oh, you know, she's there in her winery. She's the managing director. She doesn't care what I say. When that man sent me that message saying he was reading my book for the third time, he totally made my day. I do care. That's what you and do so, it for. Yes. And so to get messages from people saying, I had this vintage and it was the best one I ever had, that means so much to me. And it, and it gives me the passion to keep on trying to make a better wine every day. So... To me, it's been very invigorating. Also, you know, I have people who sell my wine in China, in Holland, and you know, I see them at some wine show once every two years. Now they can send me a message, and I can be in touch with people right. who drink my wine. So I love social media, and a lot of people complain that the kids are always on the phone. You can control it. You know, I don't always answer all the messages right away. And hope, I'm, I'm excusing myself now. Everybody, if you send me a message, I will eventually answer it. I promise. Uh, and if I don't, it's not because I didn't like it. But uh, I think it's wonderful. You'll get to it. Yeah. I think you brought up good points. Democratization. Yeah. I think there's more than just a few voices. Everybody yes. has a voice. I yeah. think you more than once talked about communication. It's an immediate form of communication yeah. from the guy who read the book. Yeah. I think discovery. I think you look at, you know, you see Olivier Krug or Laura Catena's yeah. and you see them drinking their wines, other wines, restaurants. Um, and I just think it's a great platform to really communicate a lot of different things in a lot of ways, including promoting your business, which you yeah. didn't say. Yeah, you yeah, know, including I mean, that, that yes. that's, that's there, well, but... I mean, you know, the, the bottom line is that I don't know how much it helps me sell wine, but does it give me more I, passion and, and joy? So it that does. alone is a win. Yes. If, you know, it creates perception with people, accessibility, yeah. that's a win, you know, so there's a, a yeah. lot to it. Um, and I know that you're... Uh, big user of that. All right, Laura, I'm going to let you go because I know you have a busy night. I want to thank Laura Catena for coming back. And I reminded you, or, or I'll remind you, that Laura was our first guest ever. Um, and we will see her throughout the Naples Winter Wine Festival and hopefully in New York. Yeah, absolutely. So good luck with thank Harvest. You. Um, I will see you soon, and thank you for coming on the Grape Nation. And just uh, for my Instagram uh, handle, it's Laura Catena MD. I forgot to ask. Yeah, you. no, that's okay. So L A U R A C A T E N A M D. M D. And then and on Twitter, it's just Laura Catena. And Catena Wines. Uh, yes, it's actually Twitter Catena Malbec and Instagram Catena Wines. Okay. Yeah. And I think if you hit Katana and Google or whatever, you'll see yeah. Twitter and Instagram yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, and go out and uh, try and drink all of Laura's wines. They're terrific. Thanks, Laura. Thank you, Sam. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.